0: and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas history podcast. I hope everyone's having a nice summer. It sure is hot down here in Texas, but of course, that's no surprise. I still marvel at how our forefathers settled this state without air conditioning, but as we know, they were tough. Well, we crossed another threshold with the show last week when the show reached over 20,000 downloads. I'm very excited that this podcast is reaching so many people. I started this thing to preserve and promote Texas history, and it's certainly working. I hope you'll tell your friends about the show and help preserve the stories of Texas. Now, I'm releasing this episode on July 4th, 2016, so I want to say happy birthday to the USA. But as the title of this show references, July 4th is also known as Cowboy Christmas. The reason for that is so many rodeos take place around July 4th. Rodeo is the official state sport for the state of Texas, so on this Cowboy Christmas, I'm going to fill you in on how rodeo came to be a sport and a few more tidbits about the official sport of Texas. Now, as I'll talk about toward the end of this episode, rodeo is near and dear to my heart, so over the, hopefully, years of this show, I'll have a lot to say about the sport of rodeo and the great cowboys and cowgirls involved in the sport. For this first episode, though, I want to go back to the beginning And tell you how rodeo came to be as we know it today. Because you might be surprised to learn that it's been around a lot longer than you think. So let's go back to the 1500s. That's right, the 1500s. And get wise about Texas. And we're going to start with the Spaniards. To celebrate special occasions, or really any occasion, the Spanish held a fiesta or festival. In about 1526, there's a record of something called the Fiesta de Toros, or a festival of bulls. In Mexico. Now, we're going way back here. When Spain and France reached a peace agreement in 1538, there's another mention of a fiesta del Toros, or another word they used is corrida. Now, I'm going to have to apologize here for my Spanish pronunciation. It is far from perfect, but we'll do the best we can. A corrida. Now, at these festivals, they would have contests sort of like jousting from horses. Now, I know I tend to think of jousting as a medieval thing with knights in armor and stuff like that. But this was being done in Mexico around the same time, having come from Spain. Some bullfighting developed in a couple of interesting ways. Now remember, the bull has been a celebrated symbol of masculinity in society going back to thousands of years BC. So these bullfighting techniques included a precursor to modern-day bull riding that was called the Jarapeo, which consisted of riding a bull literally to death. Now I'm not exactly sure how this worked, and I was doing some research and running into some documents in Mexican libraries, and my rudimentary Spanish stopped me before I got too far. So if any listeners out there are familiar with the old version of the jeropeo, please let me know. Anyway, the Jerapeo evolved into a situation where the rider attempts to ride the bull until the bull stops bucking. Now another version of the bullfighting events was the coliar, which is where men on horseback would grab a bull's tail and twist it until the bull went down to the ground. Now, I need to mention that we're still in Mexico in the 15th century. Back then, only the Spanish aristocrats were allowed to ride horses. The indigenous Indian populations were not allowed to own land or ride horses. The populations, of course, began to combine, as inevitably happens, and the mestizos, or descendants of mixed European and Indian blood, were eventually allowed limited rights to ride horses because of all the ranch work that needed to be done. Out of this developed a sort of aristocratic or ranching class among the mestizos that developed their own riding abilities and riding styles. Now, let's fast forward a couple hundred years to the Mexican Revolution in 1821. Over that time, the mestizo population grew into what I would imagine was the majority in Mexico, and a distinctly Mexican culture developed, which included what we now call the Charos, or individuals who owned ranches and raised horses and cattle. They developed the fancy costumes and riding and roping styles that would eventually give birth, sort of, To modern rodeo. Now these charros still held the fiestas, but now as the ranching culture in Mexico was developing, the contests changed too. One of the big ones was called a run for the rooster, where men on horseback would try and grab a chicken and keep it from being snatched away from other riders. Now interestingly, I've heard of the Afghans playing a similar game with a sheep or a goat that they use swords to pass around. And that's interesting because of the Moors and their influence in Spain, especially on the Spanish equestrian culture, and on New Mexico. But that's a little bit beyond Texas history. Anyway, another event in these charrerias was the precursor to modern bareback riding, where a rider would run his horse beside a wild mustang and jump onto the wild horse's back and try to ride it until it stopped bucking. Now, I want my rodeo friends to picture that. You ride your horse, run your horse up next to a running wild mustang, jump on the mustang, and try to ride that horse until it stops bucking. Now at this time, the herapeo was sort of the same thing, where a charro would get on a bull and try to ride it until it was tame. So all you bull riders looking for eight seconds out there, try looking for eight minutes. I can't imagine what that was like. Now another skill that was developed on these Mexican ranches that also became part of the contest was roping. Now roping was an essential skill for the cowboys and the vaqueros, And naturally, they wanted to test their skills against one another. And one of the great rope skills that evolved is called in Spanish the floriar de la riata. La riata is the rope with the loop on the end that working cowboys used in their daily chores. We commonly call it a lasso. Uh, Floriar means to bloom or to blossom. So a floriar de la riata was when the roper would spin the rope in various ways and make the loop at the end spin into different shapes and they'd spin it over their own bodies, maybe around their horse, and they'd eventually spin it onto a horse or a bull. Now try that on for size. As we've discussed many times, Mexico tried to colonize its most northern province, Coahuila y Tejas, so naturally these Mexican ranching practices made it north of the border and into Texas. So let's jump ahead a little bit further to have a time period right after the Texas Revolution. Well, the Texas ranching industry began to develop and more and more folks were moving to Texas and going into the cattle business. The experienced ranch labor force would have been largely Mexican, and they had been raising cattle in Texas and Mexico for a long time, so the smart ranchers hired the Mexican vaqueros to work the cattle, and they taught the rookie Texans how it was done. When the Anglo culture began to adopt the Mexican culture, they incorporated many of the words, techniques, and much of the equipment into the Texas ranching industry. Now, I'll do an episode on the Texas ranch culture in the future, but I want to mention one event that no doubt went a long way to import the charro culture to Texas. In 1853, a steamboat captain named Richard King founded a ranch just south of Corpus Christi that you've no doubt heard of, King Ranch. And to staff his ranch, he went to the Mexican village of Cruillas and convinced the entire village to move onto his ranch. So he relocated an entire Mexican village onto his ranch to provide the supervision and labor necessary to run the ranch. So with the import of the Charo culture and the incorporation into the new Texan ranches, of course, man's never-ending need to compete came right along with it. Now the competitions in those days were largely demonstrations of the skills actually needed in day-to-day ranch life. Riding and fighting were among those most important skills. And in the early days of the Republic, there were no better riders and fighters than the Comanche Indians. There were two significant times that Texas had what might fairly be called Comanche rodeos. Now, recall that the Comanches were among the most savage fighters ever. Texans living in Comanche areas were subject to kidnapping, torture, and brutal deaths. But there was also a consistent effort on the part of the Texans to make the frontier safe by trying to negotiate peace. And a couple of times, there were some significant planned-out negotiations with the Comanches attempting to reach a peace accord And at these events, a rodeo might break out. Now, the first I want to tell you about was a little smaller. It was in San Antonio in March of 1840. Now, this event in San Antonio was more famous for what happened at the end. But before the end, we had a rodeo. The Comanche chiefs, almost all of them, agreed to come to San Antonio and return the captives that they had taken and negotiate a peace agreement. So they rode into town and that must have been quite a sight because they were all in their uh, war paint, et cetera. The meeting took place in what was called the Council House on San Antonio's main plaza. But outside the meeting, there was sort of a rodeo. So there were about 65 Comanches that came in for the negotiations, and they included not only the chiefs and the warriors, but also some women and children. So the accounts of the event talk about the chiefs going into the Council House while the Comanche kids put on quite the display of horsemanship and shooting one of the judges in town. Now I think this might have been a Judge Thompson, who was later killed in the fight after the council house meeting, but I can't confirm that for sure. Anyway, it, it, I read an account where a judge would throw coins in the air, and the Comanche kids took their arrows and shot the coins out of the air to the great delight of the crowd. So the riding and shooting were more in line, probably, with a Wild West show or something. But we'll count that as an early rodeo. Now the end of that story, of course, is sad because instead of bringing in all their captives, the Comanches brought in one at a time, thinking they'd get a better bargain. And uh, this turned into a huge fight in the council house and a running battle through the streets of San Antonio where all the basically all the Comanches were either killed or captured. And it was known as the council house fight. Don't worry, I'm already working on that episode. So. Now another rodeo involving the Comanches, and this one was a little bit more organized, occurred in 1843. And it was organized by none other than Texas Ranger Captain Jack Hayes, who was one of the most accomplished rangers and Indian fighters in the history of the country. Now, it seems that the Comanche chief, Buffalo Hump, wanted to negotiate a peace treaty, and the backdrop for this negotiation requires another little tidbit on that Council House fight situation. After the Council House fight, the Comanches assembled the largest raiding party in their history and raided all the way down to the Texas coast of Linville, which is near Victoria, and it's often referred to as the Great Comanche Raid or the Great Raid. The Texans met him on the way back and defeated the Comanches at a battle called the Battle of Plum Creek, and Plum Creek is up near Lockhart. That defeat basically broke the back of the Comanche nation, and they were never the same after that. The Battle of Plum Creek occurred in August of 1840, and Buffalo Hump was there. He had led the Great Raid. Well, over the 1843 and 1844 time period, Sam Houston and the Texans were negotiating with many, but not all of, the Comanche Bands, for peace treaties. And these talks ended up with a signed peace treaty in late 1844 called the Tehuacana Councils or the Tehuacana Treaty. And it helped, of course, in 1844 that Jack Hayes and his rangers used the newly invented Colt revolving pistol in a battle called the Battle of Penta Trail. And that's what the rangers called it, the Battle of Penta Trail. It's also known as the Battle of Walker Creek. In any event, in 1843, while negotiations were continuing off and on, Jack Hayes decided it would be a good idea to find a little common ground with the Comanches, so he organized a series of contests. Now these contests were, occurred on San Pedro Creek at San Pedro Springs, just west of San Antonio. It's described in one account as a half mile west of the plaza. And a group of Comanche warriors, a group of some Mexican rancheros, and some of Hayes's rangers met together in what can fairly be called the first rodeo in Texas. There was a target shooting competition, there was wild horse riding competitions, and a good time was had by all. By the way, the first place winner was a ranger named John McMullen, and the second place winner was a Comanche named Long Quirt. The prizes included pistols and other valuable items, and while the rodeo didn't end the Indian Wars, it was a lot better and less brutal way to settle things, I can say that. So I'm going to call this 1843 event the first rodeo in Texas. Now the patrons of this show will receive a bonus episode describing in detail that rodeo that Hayes organized, and I'll tell you how to become a patron at the end of this episode. Now as time marched on, the mystique of the American cowboy took hold in the eastern United States. Almost immediately, the romance of the open range and the cowboy life captured the imagination of everyone in the east. People were fascinated by the life of the cowboy, and they were especially fascinated if they never had to do it themselves and had no idea how hard and dangerous it really was. Well, this fascination with the West led to the development of what we now call the Wild West Show, and one promoter, W.F. Cody, you've heard of him as Buffalo Bill Cody, put on the biggest and the best Wild West Show at the time. Cody had been a scout and a frontiersman, and beginning in the 1870s, He put on exhibitions featuring Indians doing traditional Indian dances, trick roping displays, and mock battles, uh, simulating what he alleged were the frontier battles. One year, in 1882, on the 4th of July, he put on a huge show in North Platte, Nebraska, which featured staged buffalo hunts, Indian attacks on stagecoaches, and a rodeo. Cowboys competed in roping and riding and shooting contests. And as time went along, these cowboy contests became an integral part of the Wild West show. Now, something to keep in mind about these shows as they became popular is that much like today, the shows provided the only exposure to cowboys and ranch life that most of the spectators would ever get. And the people started to expect that all cowboys should be like the ones in the show or in the rodeo. They should all be superstar riders and ropers. Of course, the show wasn't going to feature the long, dusty days on the trail or the long nights spent watching over a herd or any of the myriad hazards of day-to-day ranch work. But the shows were kept growing in popularity and bringing the West to the people. And here's an interesting fact. In Texas, the Tejanos, the people of Mexican descent living in Texas, were quick to adopt the 4th of July as a holiday in Texas. The 4th was celebrated as one of the most important holidays on the calendar, as I certainly agree it should be. And Texas independence, of course, mirrored U.S. independence very closely because the Texans in 1836 were fighting for the same Federalist ideals that drove the founding founding fathers of the United States. Well, the 4th of July was a big fiesta day. The Wild West shows were evolving into more professional cowboy contests right along with it. Now let's talk for a minute about the first actual rodeos uh, because bragging is definitely a big part of the cowboy culture and rodeo especially. So we need to examine some bragging rights. One of the rodeos claiming to be the first was a 4th of July event in Deer Trail, Colorado in 1869. This event was referred to as a bronc riding contest between cowboys from three ranches, the hash knife, the camp stool, and the mill iron. Cowboys were to ride slack saddle, which is described as a saddle without a roll tied onto the back, and likewise their stirrups were not to be tied together. The cowboys also could not wear spurs. Now one of the interesting aspects of this event, in my mind, is that it was held using outlaw horses from the three ranches. An outlaw horse is one that's owned by somebody, but it's impossible to break or ride. So they weren't rounding up wild mustangs and trying to tame them, which might have reflected some actual ranch-type activity. They were testing the cowboys against each other using horses nobody thought could be ridden under any circumstances. So this suggests more of a real rodeo competition just for the sake of the competition. Anyway, one of the count of the event talks about a cowboy named William Goff who jumped on the back of an outlaw bay horse that started spinning wildly. Goff reportedly rode him until he quit spinning and ran him back toward the crowd shouting for his spurs. he got his spurs on and rode the pony down until he gave up and just quit trying to throw him at all. Now, the winner of this rodeo was actually an Englishman. Yes, you heard that right. The winner of one of the first rodeos held on the 4th of July, celebrating the separation of the United States from England, was an Englishman. And his name was Emil Nye Gardenshire. So not only was he an Englishman, but that is about the most Englishman name I've ever heard. Anyway, Gardenshire worked for the Hashknife Ranch, and he drew a horse called Montana Blizzard. What won him the contest was Mr. Gardenshire, I'm sure he pronounced it Gardenshire, rode old Blizzard with no hands. Apparently he had a whip in one hand, which he applied constantly, but he didn't hang on with the other, and it's said that the horse went nuts for 15 solid minutes until Gardenshire ended up riding him in circles gently loping around the pen. Now, I'm going to tell you, if that really happened that way, that is some serious cowboy stuff right there. It must have been a heck of a sight. Gardenshire was proclaimed the champion, and his prize was a new set of clothes, which for an 1869 cowboy in the Wild West would have been a very valuable prize indeed. Now, we need to talk about another rodeo that also sometimes claims to be the first. Now, there's been some contention that the first rodeo was actually held in 1847 in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Now, in a book on on rodeo written in the 40s, the author cited a letter, and the letter was written in June 1847, and it referenced horse races and riding and roping contests at Santa Fe during the roundups when the cattle are brought in to be tended to. Now, this letter was written by a gentleman named Maine Reed. The problem is, there was essentially no cattle ranching in Santa Fe or probably anywhere in New Mexico in 1847. It was sheep country. There's, There's no other discussions in contemporaneous in 1847 about cattle being rounded up in Santa Fe. Also, Maine Reed was a member of the New York Volunteers in late 1846. This unit was under the command of General Winfield Scott in the Mexican War. Main Reed was a writer and served uh, part-time as a war co- correspondent in the Mexican War, and he wrote about the Battle of Veracruz, which occurred in March of 1847. And that army unit also fought in April, and they were in Puebla until August, and then moved on to Mexico City and fought several more battles in 1847. And Reed was actually wounded in September 1847 and received a citation for bravery. The point of all this is to say that Reed could not have been in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in June 1847 to witness any sort of rodeo. He was in the state of Veracruz, but he could have been in Santa Fe, Old Mexico. You see there's a Santa Fe, Mexico that is located in the state of Veracruz and cattle ranching has been going on in that area going back to Colonial Mexico. So I'd say Reed probably did see a charreria in Old Mexico and for whatever reason, writers through the years just assumed he meant Santa Fe, New Mexico. Well, it pays to do your homework. Two of the earliest rodeos that still argue over who was the first, are the Pecos, Texas Rodeo, called the West of the Pecos Rodeo, and the Prescott, Arizona Rodeo, called Prescott Frontier Days. The story of the Prescott Rodeo goes back to, of course, July the 4th, and the year was 1888. A group of businessmen organized what they called a cowboy tournament and offered prizes for the winners. The Prescott Rodeo has continued uninterrupted since 1888. By the way, I did extensive research, including a long-distance phone call, and I can tell you it's pronounced Prescott, not Prescott. Don't go to Arizona and say Prescott. The Prescott Rodeo calls itself the world's oldest rodeo. Now, the Pecos Rodeo began also on, of course, July the 4th, but the year was 1883. Apparently, some guys were hanging out in Red Newell's Saloon in Pecos and decided to have a steer roping and bronc riding competition. Some ranchers put up the prize money and the rodeo was held. So, Pecos bills itself as the world's first rodeo. So, I'd say we have a tenuous compromise with Pecos and Prescott. But, by all accounts, Pecos was the first. Now, in the 80s, both rodeos got crossways with the makers of the board game Trivial Pursuit. The game makers had Prescott as the place where rodeo started. Pecos threatened to sue if they didn't change it. Prescott threatened to sue if it was changed. Well, trivial pursuit didn't change it. Well, I'm going to say right now, the Prescott Rodeo is a great rodeo, but this is Wise About Texas and I'm biased. So Pecos Texas is the world's first rodeo. Maybe we should organize a Wise About Texas road trip to both events and we can argue about it over some cold beer while watching some great rodeo. Now in 1970 or excuse me, 1917, another great event happened and that was the Fort Worth Texas Rodeo moved rodeo inside with the first indoor rodeo. Now, that certainly made it more fun for fans of air conditioning, like me, and the competition conditions were also improved since you didn't have to worry about rain or snow. So thanks for that, Fort Worth. Now, rodeo has come a long way since those early days. The first associations emerged in the early 1900s, but they were made up of the rodeo promoters, not the cowboys. In 1936, there were two big rodeos going on at the same time, one in Boston Garden and one in Chicago. Remember, these were extensions of the Wild West shows, and the folks up north and in the east loved the cowboy life. So these were two big rodeos in 1936. One of the cowboys in Boston, Hugh Bennett, figured out that the total prize money that they were competing for was less than the entry fees that were totaled up. So he organized a strike of the cowboys in Boston. He telegraphed Chicago to tell the cowboys over there what was going on. And cowboys in both cities let the promoters know that they wouldn't work unless they got a better deal. Well, it worked, and the cowboys formed a new association to represent themselves called the Cowboys Turtle Association. They picked that name because they were slow as turtles to organize. That association changed its name to the Rodeo Cowboys Association in the 40s and changed the name again to the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, or PRCA, in the 70s. Now today, the PRCA still sanctions rodeos all across the country. Now, there have been other ancillary associations that have sprung up around sport of rodeo. The Professional Bull Riders, or the PBR, started in 1992 and highlights the sport of bull riding. And there's also an organization called the Cowboy Bull Riders, or CBR. And recently, in the spirit of those cowboys in the 30s, a new rodeo association has been formed called the Elite Rodeo Association, or the ERA. The ERA was formed by some champion caliber cowboys to provide a 15 rodeo series that culminates in a championship at the end of the year now much like the old days this led to a dispute with the prca which led to a lawsuit which was eventually dropped the cowboys have always had an independent spirit since the beginning of ranch culture and the western lifestyle and that spirit leads from, to conflict from time to time but hopefully rodeo will continue to thrive and i'll tell you the championship level competitors are really fun to watch Well, you can't fairly say rodeo is just a Texas sport, but it certainly started here in 1883, and maybe, if you count the Comanche Rodeo earlier in 1843, certainly indoor rodeo started here, so we're claiming most of the sport for Texas. We've got the largest indoor rodeo in the world right here in Houston in March, and Texas has certainly had more than its share of great rodeo champions. I want to do episodes on many of these folks in coming years, but I'll go ahead and just mention a few since we're talking about it. Don Gay from Mesquite, Texas, won eight bull riding world titles. He's the son of a rodeo stock contractor, Neil Gay, and he began riding bulls at six years old. And he is a color commentator now for rodeos on television. He was named a legend of pro rodeo in 2013 by the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. And while we're on bull riders, another great bull rider is Tuff Hedeman. Tuff was born in El Paso and has been in the national finals about 12 times. I know he's got three world titles, and he's the one that founded and head up, heads up champion bull riding the CBR Association, and they put on about 70 bull riding events a year in a series, and a championship, so he remains very active in the sport. I just ran into him at the recent Lonesome Dove reunion in Fort Worth, and it was good to catch up. And Texas seems to have more than its share of great calf ropers, too. One, Joe Beaver, grew up in Victoria, Texas, and started roping at age five. He won the world championship in calf roping his rookie year in professional rodeo, which was 1985. He was only 20 years old, and he was also, of course, as you might expect, rookie of the year that year. He went on to win four more calf roping world championships and three all-around cowboy world championships, and he's been to the national finals 19 times, and nowadays he's one of the featured color commentary commentators on the national finals, and I must say does a phenomenal job. Another great calf-roping champion is Fred Whitfield from Houston. Fred's qualified for the National Finals Rodeo 20 times, and still holds the record for the fastest time on 10 head of calves. That National Finals has 10 rounds, and he was the fastest on all of them. He's won eight world championships. He's probably won every major rodeo in the country, and he also has the distinction of being the first African-American cowboy to win the all-around cowboy title, which he did in 1999. Fred Whitfield's a great champion, very popular. It's not all guys, though. Texas has some great female rodeo champions, too. J.J. Hampton from Stephenville, Texas, has won a whopping 17 world roping titles from the Women's Professional Rodeo Association. And that's especially impressive when you consider she's a real estate agent full-time. She is a very tough competitor and a part of a great rodeo family. Another great Texas cowgirl was Wanda Bush. And Wanda, unfortunately, passed away last year. She was from Mason, Texas and she counted up 32 world titles across various events and she went on to become a very well-respected horse trainer. Well I hope I've provided a little introduction to rodeo history for you in the Texas angle which is certainly significant. There are hopefully going to be many more episodes of Wise About Texas and we'll get more specific about some of the rodeos and some of the great cowboys and cowgirls but for now I hope you got a good background of how rodeo evolved into the sport and into the state sport of Texas. Now At this point, I want to throw a little personal twist on this episode. You see, I used to rodeo myself. I learned to rope at what I think was Joe Beaver's first roping school. So Joe, if you hear this, let me know if that's true right after you won your first world title. And I got the chance to not only learn to calf rope from Joe, but also his late father, Walter Beaver, who was a great teacher. I roped on the A&M rodeo team until I needed to begin focusing on academics, since I certainly wasn't ever going to threaten any of these great champions I mentioned. But I did have the chance to know and to rope with some of them, including Fridays at the sci FFA Rodeo with Fred Whitfield and others, and it was a great time, and I'm glad I got to experience the cowboy life, if only for a little while. So rest assured that your host of this show is not just talking about Texas, I'm living it. I hope you'll celebrate Texas by going and watching some of the great summer rodeos. And I hope you have a very Merry Christmas. That's a Merry Cowboy Christmas. Well, Now we come to the part of the show called Getting There, where I tell you how to go see some of the places we talked about in the episode. The Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame is located at the PRCA headquarters at 101 Pro Rodeo Drive in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's a fascinating place and you'll see all the great champions enshrined in that hall. The Texas Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame is located in the Cowtown Coliseum in the historic Stockyards District of Fort Worth, which is always a fun place to visit. Then there's also the Texas Rodeo Hall of Fame located in Pecos, Texas in the old T&P Railroad Depot at the corner of First and Oak Streets. The Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame also incorporates rodeo and the Western lifestyle, and it's located also in the historic Fort Worth Stockyards District at 128 East Exchange, Avenue. And of course, all over Texas, especially around July 4th, we have many great rodeos. So go check it out. Well, that wraps up this episode of Wise About Texas. I hope you'll like the show's Facebook page and hit the share button if you think about it. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Wise About Texas. The show also has a Patreon page at www.patreon.com patreon.com slash wise about texas current patrons of wise about texas are going to get a detailed bonus episode on that first comanche rodeo in 1843 and it's pretty interesting so join up at patreon.com slash wise about texas and we sure appreciate it hope your summer goes very well and tell your friends to check out wise about texas to keep you company on those long summer road trips so until next time god bless texas and we'll see you down the road